Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, game one is in the books, and the Phoenix Suns beat the Milwaukee Bucks. They were six-point favorites. They covered the spread. They win the game. They're favored to win the series. Uh, it was a game that went a lot like the Jazz games went this year when Jazz when the Jazz knew they were the better team. And like games, quite frankly, the Jazz played in Stockton alone were on top. You, you kind of figure things out in the first half. You probably build a little bit of a lead, get it up to five to ten points, whatever, somewhere in that margin. I think it was eight for the Suns. And you kind of figure them out. And you see all their rotations, see how they're going to play you, any wrinkles they throw at you. But by the third quarter, 24 minutes of books in the basketball, there are no more tricks. You know where to attack them, and you go below the game open, and the Suns did. And they got that lead up to 20, and credit the Bucks, They fought back. They got within seven, but they didn't get any more, and, and the Suns pull away and win the game. Chris Paul goes for 32, and really a predictable 32 if you were watching the game on TV, which is, I assume is how most of you watched it. Maybe a few of you were in your cars or whatever and listened. But um, <laughs> it really came down to a play in the first half. When Chris Paul tried to throw a pass towards the top of the key, it got deflected, he got it back. He tried to throw it in the corner, got batted out of bounds. And Jeff Van Gundy said, wow, I don't think I've ever seen Chris Paul have two passes deflected on the same possession. Mark Jackson said, well, that's because they're playing him to pass. He's got to be aggressive and go score and change that. And that was late. It was probably like three minutes or so left in the first half. And he came out in the third quarter and he attacked the rim. And he ends up with 32 points. He scored at will. They went on the run. And that was that. Now, Giannis Antetokounmpo, I thought he looked pretty good. Maybe he'll be even better Thursday and have an enormous game and tie the series up. So I think the Bucks should have some hope there. Um, but the Suns, you know, everyone thinks that, not everyone, but most people think they're the best team and they look like the best team. And uh, Chris Paul went off and we'll see how the Suns choose to defend him in game two. All right, we're going to switch a little gears right now. Uh, college football, Miami Hurricanes, a mixed martial arts gym, is going to give every player 500 bucks. It's an enormous contract. <laughs> name, image, and likeness. All the Canes football players are getting taken care of. Where is this going with name, image, and likeness? We had uh, Steve Cleveland on late in yesterday's show and discussed how he thought this might play out. Obviously, coaching J.C. Ball in California became, before he came to BYU, before he went to Fresno State. So you got a little experience in this area. Here's Steve Cleveland uh, with PK and I talking name, image, and likeness and paying college athletes on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Steve, you coached for a long time. J.C. Ball, BYU, Fresno State. The name, image, and likeness thing has been coming for a while. And now the first few days in, there's deals cut almost immediately. Where is this going? Can you give us one or two unintended consequences of this? Because we're sure there's going to be a lot of them. Well, look, I, I think the first thing is how you legislate it and how you administer it. And uh, there's so many things that they still don't even know that are going to happen. I mean, we just, you know, and I, I'm not an expert on this. I've read what you've read and uh, trying to get an understanding. And I, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't think it's going to impact that many athletes, to be honest with you, when it's all said and done. Uh, I, I'm sure the really elite athletes, there, there, there's going to be some you know, there's a benefit to them in some situations. But if if young people are thinking that people now are just going to line up and want to give them money at a time when uh, we've gone through so many things uh, in life here with COVID and businesses going out of business and this and that, that I, I think it would be foolish to think that, that there are going to be a lot of student athletes that actually really benefit from this. I, I suspect there will be. You're, you're open and uh, Pandora's box here where we don't know what the consequences are and certainly I, I get how 
the legal system came to the point where they are. Uh, but I, I'm just not sure. I'm guarded watching this to see how it's going to play out. And there's so many unknowns. And, and maybe because of my conservative nature and never really, I mean, you know what? They're, they're, it's true. I mean, the, these young men, I, I remember, I mean, it's different today even than when I was coaching. I mean, you couldn't buy a kid a meal. You, you couldn't get a milkshake for him. You couldn't, they, you couldn't send them home when they had, their parents were sick or ill. I mean, there were so many restrictions that everything was a violation. Everybody said, well, oh, yeah, we, they run a, nobody was running a clean program because there was unintended things that happened in every program that led to sometimes more serious you know, ramifications. But at the end of the day, you, you look back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, 90s, the student athlete was wasn't given a whole lot, you know. I mean, yes, there was opportunities, and you could say, "Oh, they got an education," you know, and all of those things. But there were a lot of things we couldn't do that made it really difficult. And now, all of a sudden, we've gone full circle, where the perception is that they can be paid, they're going to make money, they can get have you know contracts with uh, businesses and things and anything that, whether it's jersey, the likeness of their jersey or their face or whatever it might be, man, and I I know this is something they've been thinking about and a lot of smart people have kind of gone forward with this thing, but I have no idea how this is going to play out other than my gut feeling tells me that it really is not going to impact that many people. Now, you know, a year from now we have this conversation and you see you are dead wrong, but for me, from the outside looking in, I just don't see how many young people are really going to benefit from it. I wonder at a place like BYU if they could benefit it more than other schools because of the religious connection. Uh, you look at these guys when they go on into the pro ranks. Like you can't drive around. You may have noticed it because I know you spent some recent time here with your son along the Wasatch Front. You see pictures of Taysom Hill and Daniel Sorensen of the Chiefs and of the Saints. I don't even know what they're advertising, but I see their faces on the billboards, and there is that connection because of the religious connection. And certainly we understand a kid like Jimmer. If this would have been around in Jimmer's day, Day. Yeah. My goodness! I mean, he would own <laughs> half the town. Uh, so exactly. that's that's a high level exception. But I wonder because of that, the LDS connection, if that could pay off a little bit more because there'd be a closer association with that kid. I, I think there's, there there could be because there is a connection, not just as a student athlete, but at, they, they share the same faith, and and it's a very connected group of people worldwide. And so, yeah, I, I think that possibly could connect. And uh, they have passionate fans, as all schools have really passionate fans. But most schools, I mean, you know, if you're at Notre Dame, I'm not sure that every young man that is a student that goes to Notre Dame is a Catholic, but there is a connection there as well, you know, where, but that, that's a different situation. Whereas in Utah, the, 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 a lot of the membership of the church lives in, in the West, and, and specifically a lot of members in the state of Utah where BYU is. And so, yeah, I, I could see that where there's such passionate fans that they may look for ways to, hey, yeah, you know what, uh, I, I think we can support this young man and we'd like to have him represent our country, our company. So I could see that happening more there than, than I would at Fresno State where I live and watch. Right. And, uh, and there's some high level, Aaron Judge playing for the Yankees, who was, was a baseball player there. You had Paul George playing basketball, Derek Carr playing football. Those were all high end you know, uh, professional athletes 
But I, I don't see that community re- at any time really being in a position to do the things that they're asking to do because it's it just they didn't get that kind of support. So most of their notoriety money was made at the next level. And uh, But you never know. I mean, I, I know there's two twin basketball players from Fresno State who have like a gazillion followers on Twitter and this and that, and they're trying to, to make money out of this thing. So I, I guess it can happen in every community, but there's a big difference, for instance, in the two communities that I live in terms of the relationship between fans and players. And, uh, and certainly I could see that at BYU uh, because of the church. Not because the church has anything to do with it, but because there's such a connection. I think it just comes down to that most state universities, most public schools are naturally geographically based. And you look at Army, Navy, Air Force, Notre Dame, and BYU, those five have far-flung fan bases that are digitally connected. They they have to be. And once you have the digitally connected fan base, you've got digital businesses appealing to them, and those businesses may want players from those schools in a way that fill in the blank state university. Yeah, I know Ohio State's got a national rep, but most of those state universities just don't. Yeah. No, I, I, I really like that thought. I hadn't really actually given that thought where they could benefit, but from that digital businesses, you're right. And and you know, and, and and young people, they're prepared for that. I mean, they they live in a digital world. They they know the digital world, and uh, so you have two groups that can connect because of that. And uh, you know, that, that, that's a great thought, David. I mean, I, I think that uh, that that is an area that would would bring people together. And you know, no generation has been more digitally in tune than the one we live with today. One of the things that makes me a little bit concerned is that some of these guys who don't come from much all of a sudden may get some money, and then you get a bunch of hanger-oners that are just going to try to pilfer it and all of a sudden going to buddy up to these guys, because they, they already get it to an extent, but now it could be even more. And I, I'm concerned the kid is going to be young, obviously, and he's going to get this money potentially, because you see it at the pro rank, but now it happens even earlier and it may cause some problems. You see that? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm sure that presidents of schools and athletic directors, and I, and I know most schools are supportive, and, and I've listened to people who are supportive of it, but they better have things in place. <laughs> and, and as big as an organization as the NC2A has been with all the rules, and I'm not suggesting 100 more rules because there, there have been so many NC2A violations throughout the years that, you know, most universities at some time or another. And this really opens the door to uh, inappropriate things that could potentially happen. And so I think more than anything, the responsibility lies with the institution. And they better have things in place. They better have staff in an athletic organization. They better have staff, uh, you know, with uh, the booster groups. And they better, you know, they certainly have got to monitor this in ways that they've never done before and everything's so new and i'm sure they're going to learn and and probably there are going to be some mistakes and there's going to be some inappropriate things happen because they already have been happening and now we're opening the door to it and saying it's okay how do we define that uh how are we going to legislate it uh how how we're going to be judicious about this and when somebody does something what are you know how is the nc2a going to be involved in this and monitoring it and or maybe it's just the institutions that monitor. Well, that that opens a door that you know 
could really, really lead to some inappropriate things happening. So I can't imagine an institution, and it's happened so quickly, so they haven't had a lot of time, but uh, to, to, to keep things in order, they, they, they'd have to have now a group of people at the, each institution that are monitoring it and managing it. Besides the kids who need to be educated, and I'm sure right now when school starts, everybody's going to be completely educated. Maybe they've already started doing it now, but every student athlete has to be educated to what, what's appropriate, what isn't, because anybody that turns an eye, blind eye to that is, is going to lead themselves down a road where all of a sudden the NCAA is going to be way more involved in the, in the judicial part of this where schools are in trouble. And, and it wasn't maybe meant. It's just that inappropriate monitoring. And listen, I, I have had a lot of experience uh, with the NC2A when I was at Fresno when uh, I met with the NC2A for things that had happened there. And uh, it, it, was, uh, it wasn't a pleasant experience. It, it wasn't about anything that I had been or been, but it was something that I was, had to manage and fix. And, and I know what that feels like to sit in a room with a bunch of attorneys and presidents and everybody else and talk about how we're going to monitor this. Now we have something everybody seems to be really excited about, and, and I don't have any issues with with kids being compensated for their likeness, and if it's appropriate, hey, good for them. I mean, that's good for them and good for the institution, but uh, you better monitor it, and, and, and it better be done in an appropriate way. Otherwise, we're going down a road here that uh, could be pretty destructive to people, to programs, and to businesses. Steve, we'll leave it there for now. I'm sure we will revisit this down the line. Thanks for joining us for a few minutes, and we will talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. See you. All right, there is Steve Cleveland. More in a moment. Stay with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz. But the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, the NBA Finals are underway, but for the other 28 teams, we're into the offseason, prepping for the draft, for free agency. What are the Jazz going to do? What are they going to do with Mike Conley? What are they going to do to make the team more versatile for small ball lineups with their backup center? And can they get any wing guys? Because everybody wants to see the Jazz get more wing guys. Dan Feldman, NBC Pro Basketball Talk, uh, writes on their website, has done radio and TV appearances on NBC uh, properties. He joined us to talk about that, and I asked him about uh, Derek Favors and what to do with the backup center spot. Here's Dan Feldman with PK and I on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Oh, so I, you know, I think backup center is a place where the Jazz definitely have room to upgrade. Uh, I, I wasn't so impressed with where Favors was by the end of the year into the playoffs. To me, he just looked like a worse version of Rudy Gobert in a lot of ways. Had a lot of uh, limitations, but obviously not nearly the same strength. 
Uh, so I think backup center is a place where the Jazz can both upgrade uh, and also get the ability to play different styles, be more adaptable. Obviously, usually you want to have your best players on the floor, and that's Rudy Gobert. But there are going to be times, like against the Clippers, when, when they went small, it gave the Jazz a lot of problems. There are going to be times where you want to play different styles. And I think backup center is a place that the, the Jazz can get a reasonable player. Not going to be as good but somebody who can work favors and provide that adaptability. How about be able to hit some threes because they don't have that out of their big man now? Yeah, that'd be a big part of it. Uh, it's offensively like that, too, but it's also defensively. Rudy Colbert is an excellent defender. He is at his best when he's in the paint. Uh, he loses some of his value when he's on the perimeter. He holds his own. I'm not one of these people who believes, oh, he gets played off the court all the time in the playoffs or anything like that. But there are times where there's you know, some players who can play center, who can hold up there in smaller lineups, uh, who are just a little bit more fleet of foot, better moving on the perimeter, uh, better on that defensive end in those matchups. So there's been a lot of talk about wing players for the Jazz and that they need someone who's got some size and some athletic ability and then make enough threes, maybe bring them along as a three-point shooter. How much would you value that? Uh, it'd be great. Uh, the whole league values that, though, unfortunately, for, for the Jazz. That, that is the premium uh, spot to fill. To get an athletic and skilled wing. The Jazz have one in Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, he's, he's a little smaller than, than who you're talking about, uh, the, the guy you want. But those players are, are so hard to find, so hard to get. Uh, and the Jazz are, are going to be limited to the mid-level exception. It's going to be tough to get that style of player because uh, there just aren't that many of them around the league. And the ones who are, are for that reason, very highly valued. So Damian Lillard has a massive contract, and he's a massive talent for sure. Do you think there's any way he would get moved? If he wants to. Uh, that's how the NBA works out. If he wants to get traded, he will. Uh, I'm going to take him at, you know, at, at his word. He's talked about staying with one team so often. I think he's a little frustrated at this moment. Everything hasn't gone to plan. Uh, I, so I, I think it's highly unlikely, but sure, there's a chance. Doesn't seem more likely with four years left on his deal that with the coaching change, he gives it a shot for a couple of years and then he's moved with two years left on his deal? Or is that old school thinking after watching the way Chris Paul's been bounced around the league by the Rockets, the Thunder, and now to the Suns? You know, it's, it's different than Chris Paul uh, because Chris Paul, you know, when he engineered the moves himself, uh, it wasn't with so much time left. He didn't want the Rockets. So trade, well, maybe he did by that point. But he wasn't you know, forcing a trade, demanding a trade. The Rockets were the, were the real impetus there. They wanted to get rid of him. Uh, the Trailblazers don't want to get rid of Damian Lillard, no way. And they do have some leverage uh, because of that. So much of this is really about uh, the star's stomach for doing this, right? If Damian Lillard really wants to be traded and is willing to make a mess and make things difficult on the Trailblazers and not be the great leader he was and not be the great teammate he was, yeah, he can probably get traded. A lot of players don't want to do that. That's not their mindset, and that's so far from what Damian Lillard's mindset has been. Does Kawhi go back to the uh, Clippers? I think that's most likely. Uh, There's no signal I've seen in any direction stronger than just two years ago he chose the Clippers. He could have gone anywhere, and he chose the Clippers. Obviously, it hasn't worked out as well as anybody there would have hoped, uh, but has it been so bad that he's ready to leave? I doubt it. Uh, but it's at least possible. Once you hit free agency, you have options. What happens with the Mavericks? Because obviously you got Luka Doncic there. Awesome. But you got a new coach. 
you got a new GM, you got the ability to create some serious cap space, what are they going to do? It's kind of a bummer for them in that they've been uh, saving up to have this cap space this last year before you know, Luka Doncic is going to be on the, that Supermax contract and so highly paid. You have him on that chief rookie scale contract. This is your opportunity to get cap space. And Giannis signs his extension. Kawhi Leonard, who we just talked about, is probably going to say, I mean, I'm sure you make a run at him. This free agent class hasn't panned out as hoped. But Tim Hardaway Jr. played very well for them, gave them good minutes. A lot of their cap space is based on him leaving, his big salary coming off the bus. Their best option might end up just being re-signing him. That'd be disappointing, uh, but you got to make the best of the situation. Yeah, that's interesting there with that situation as far as what they're going to be able to do because even though the kid is young, it seems like there's a lot of intense pressure to get better immediately as if he's running out of time. And what is he, 22? Maybe not. I don't even know if he's 23. So it seems like, you know, when you look at somebody like Chris Paul who doesn't get to the finals until his 16th year, it seems kind of silly that Dallas is under this pressure, but at least that's my perception of it. It from the outside. See, I read the pressure a little differently. The pressure isn't he's running out of time. The pressure is that the window's open already because he's so good when so young. Uh, sometimes teams mistime it. Uh, Luka Doncic is ready to lead a team deep into the playoffs. They just need to get the players around him. I also think some of the pressure comes from they already made their move for a second star, and it hasn't worked. Kristaps Porzingis is not playing on that level. It's frustrating him. It's frustrating Doncic. It's frustrating everybody. Uh, the problem is he's on this high salary, so it makes it harder to get somebody else. The Mavericks gave up a couple first-round picks to get him. Those are assets they can't use to get somebody else. Uh, so I think the pressure just comes from the frustration that, uh-oh, like this, this, the first plan hasn't worked. That makes it harder to get to the second plan. By the time you, you let the first plan, if you're just going to let it run its course, then maybe Doncic is even more frustrated. Uh, but I, I think the pressure is more generally optimistic. It's about the window being open because Doncic is so good. So the Grizzlies should be better because they're young. The Warriors should be better because they're healthy. How much better are those teams going to be, and can they make a Suns-like leap? Suns-like leap is tough. That's a, that's a high bar. Both teams definitely can be better. Uh the Warriors were pretty darn good this year when they weren't playing James Wiseman uh, and maybe a couple other players who, who didn't belong in the rotation. The Suns, or the, the Warriors, is a, is a framework there, right? Steph Curry is awesome. Draymond Green can still dial it up at times. It's a question how often he can as he gets older, uh, but they should be pretty good. The Grizzlies, uh, you know, they, they've got to decide how fast they want to accelerate because some of the reason they were good, of course, is they're you know super young players. Uh, especially John Morant. Some of it is they've had uh, a couple solid veterans, especially uh, Jonas Valanciunas. Do you want to keep relying on him? Uh, by the time John Morant is peaking, uh, Jonas Valanciunas might not be in his prime anymore. Uh, so you do, do you want to try, where do you want to time it? Do you want to have everything come together when John Morant is at his peak? Uh, then maybe that means you know trading Jonas Valanciunas, getting something for him, a younger player who, who's better timed with Moran, or do you want to try and be better now? Uh, but both those teams, however they go, uh, both the Warriors and Grizzlies should be in that playoff mix next year. Well, Dan, before we get to next year, we got the finals this year. So enjoy them. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again as the offseason heats up. 
Thanks for having me. There's Dan Feldman from NBC Pro Basketball Talk. When we come back, David Locke, really not talking a lot of jazz in this visit. It's more about the name, image, and likeness. Entrepreneur, David Locke. <laughs> He'll join us next. Stay with us. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. So we had David Locke on at the end of last week, but a lot of you were uh, ducking out for the holiday weekend. We talked with him uh, not so much about the jazz, the NBA, uh, but more about name, image, and likeness. David's mind goes a million miles a minute. And he launched a podcast network, the Locked On Network, that really took off. He just sold an interest in it and uh, did quite well for himself. So as much as we laugh about David as an entrepreneur, no, really, David Locke is an entrepreneur. Interesting. So I want to get his take on the name, image, and likeness stuff. And when we were talking to him, the rules had just changed. And already in a week, we've started to see deals cut. So here's David on where he thinks this is all going with college athletes on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. David Locke joins us now. He's here every week. He's brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Let's talk college sports. This is so fascinating. <laughs> Name, image, and likeness. It's a chance for, I love it. chance for entrepreneurs to go in any direction they want. You are an entrepreneur with your podcast network. You set it up. You grew it. You did really well for yourself with it. What would you tell the 20-year-old athlete? And as the parent of young athletes, what would you tell the 15-year-old? It's interesting. I, I think telling the 15-year-old's the hardest, right? Because here I have, been, you know, I'm parenting a 16-year-old, and a lot of our conversations are all about social networks, and here you have the two Fresno State players that have got their TikTok following that suddenly go and, you know, get themselves a big deal. You've got the Jackson State volleyball player, got the Barstool deal, and unfortunately none of, neither of these seem to be a great deal about their athletic prowess. It has to do with their being female and being attractive. So you're reconfirming all sorts of bad social image issues that happen to girls because of social networking and making it seem like social networking is more important. I actually, it's interesting you phrase it like that, though. The one downside I see on this is, is really what it does to the younger kids and blows up the importance of your social network following as being really important. We dealt with it with our son a tiny bit that he lost a ski sponsorship or two early on in his career because we didn't let him have social networks and he wasn't involved in them. And so he didn't have enough followers to qualify for various things that you can get in the ski world. Um, so I've kind of dealt with it a little bit and, you know, we just decided that that was the right, you know, parenting long-term is more important than getting cool jackets and cool stuff. Um, but it's hard. I think that's the hard one. Otherwise, I mean, I think the answer as an athlete is you, you, you take in these opportunities. The time consumption on it is, is a real issue. You better be careful about what you're doing and you better make sure you don't do anything to damage your brand for a long period of time. And I thought some of Don Staley's tweets about, you know, better have accountants and better have also it's real. You're in business now at a young age. So, um, you know, I think, I think those things from an impact of a large, my question is what I think it does to the larger picture college football and, 
And my theory is I think it, it evens out the top 20. I think it'll be really – I actually think it's going to be really good for the competitive balance of the game. Everyone's saying it's going to be bad. I actually go the other way, which is we don't really have competitive balance right now. We've got five or six teams that have a chance to win a national championship every year. I think that number could go to 20. Right now, you know, there's 65-star recruits. 35 of them are going to Alabama and Clemson. You know, when someone offers a better deal now at those other places, I mean, not like they weren't getting paid already, but gets, you know, even more openly better deal, then I'm not sure that 35 of those 65-star recruits are all going to Alabama and Clemson anymore. Okay, but how is that going to happen when you say they're offered a better deal because they haven't been there yet and the school's not supposed to be involved? It's supposed to be something that you do on your own. So it seems like it would lead even to more corruption, and the corruption's already rampant, so I'm not sure how that is actually executed. Well, we can't have more corruption, TK. (laughs) Well, we can. We cannot have more corruption. (laughs) So now we can have open capitalism for athletes to be able to sell their name and likeness rather than the school being the only one that profits up. I mean, what's interesting is I heard yesterday, and I'm making a bunch of calls on it because, frankly, from a lockdown standpoint, it's important to us, so we're trying to figure out what we're going to do with it. Like, I made a bunch of calls to people around college sports yesterday. I got a different answer on every single time I called. Like, and what I think's really interesting is while the universities are not supposed to be involved, I have heard that the players have to sign some sort of an agreement with the university that frees the university of any liability to these sponsorships. So, I, you know, the, the answer to your question is, I'm sure in the recruiting process, it'll be mentioned, hey, in our past quarterback had these um, endorsements and our past running back had these endorsements. It's not necessarily saying you're going to get them, but our past one did. Okay. So, I'm sure that that'll be taking place, and I think that'll be – I actually think that'll level the playing field. The other one I think's really cool is Patrick Kinahan, the huge baseball Arizona State baseball fan, hits it big, right? So you now have millions, PK, and you decide, you know what, I want to make sure that Arizona State is in the College World Series every year in a powerhouse. You probably could do that. Maybe baseball's too big, but if you really decide, like BYU women's bat- volleyball is pretty darn good, but let's say you want to make sure it's really good, and that's your passion, is one of these Olympic sports, I think individual boosters and bringing together a collection of businesses that now endorse those athletes suddenly can take an individual program out of school as a passion project and turn it into something great. Is this going to be more a social media play, more a retail advertising play, or more an entrepreneurship play? How's this going to go in the long run? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, it's just an equation, right? I mean, I'm doing it. We're trying to figure out it locked on. Like, if are we allowed to go suddenly, who's the new BYU quarterback? Who's the new Zach Wilson? I don't know who's starting BYU. Uh, they haven't. They haven't named one yet. It's Jaron Hall, Baylor Romney, or uh, Jacob Conover. They're the three guys right. are competing. So, like Jay Catch on Locked On Cougars 
suddenly creates a deal with Baylor Romney to come on the show for X amount of dollars every week and becomes a regular on Locked on Cougars. To how many listeners does he bring in? What's the value of a listener to us? Is it worth it? Like, that's the equation I'm doing every day right now. Right. We discussed that with Tom Homo, that very thing. Does If Jaron Hall wins the deal, does he have a, a deal with Channel 2 to give an exclusive interview after every game? And what did Tom Homo say? He acknowledged that it could happen. It's an interesting concept that the player can now be exclusive until the sports information director tells him he's got to do media. He says, I can't do it. I'm, not, I'm getting paid by Channel 2. That that's what we were discussing. We're going yeah. to areas and, that and could potentially happen. I've already I've already talked to a current sports information director who said so when you walk in the locker room after a game and you tell the three to five players you're going to the podium, do the sixth and seventh players look at you and say, You're killing me, you're quieting my brand. I need to be out talking to the media. And they acknowledged, they acknowledged, yeah, we got to figure all that stuff out. And maybe they just take everybody to the podium now who's requested so they can tell the players, well, you weren't requested. Maybe it's a good day for the media and they'll suddenly realize they can't hide their players because their players want to be out. Possibly. Players are now. Some of them play? Wait, why should a player go to the podium anymore? Why shouldn't the player sit in the locker in his locker room and do an Instagram live and hold his own press conference after the game? Well, and then get all the followers on his account. If you're if you're trying to get all the followers, you can. You would do both. Right. Hey, I'm doing an hour after every game. I'm doing Instagram live. Take your questions to spam the media. Yep. Then you just have the media go to Instagram. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Right. I mean, we already go to team websites and and to Zoom calls, and and you already see uh, if someone tweets out something that's newsworthy, everybody's running with it. It's embedded in stories. Sports Center's got graphics for it. NFL Network's got graphics for it. I mean, everybody's on it. Yep. It's almost like a team should say, you know what? We're just gonna let the players do their own stuff. Go. We're no longer involved. Uh, and from that perspective, but then they what we're seeing now and has been ongoing is schools are producing their own content. Right. Um, you know the the interesting one is my understanding is that if you have a brand, if Channel Two has any relationship with BYU, then you can't do that deal. Which is really wild. So you almost have to not have a deal with the university to be able to do the deal with the players. It's all to be figured out. Where is this going? It's kind of great. Not kind of great. It's 100% great. Potentially. (laughs) Potentially, (laughs) right? You know what? Like, PK, it's the same way I feel about the transfer portal. Sure, it's not perfect, but what we had before was obscenely wrong. I agree with that. And I get that, but let's go right back to what you said earlier about the first deals are for female athletes and it's reinforcing body image issues, and that's not only critical for that person, for that, in some cases, kid, right? Because there'll be high school athletes uh, who could be exploited or depending on your point of view, benefiting themselves. But the message that gets spread to other kids, you know, the unintended consequences are huge. 
I've raised a daughter. You've raised a daughter. PK's raised a daughter. It doesn't impact just the one kid. Right, but that's not, I mean, 100%. I'm with you 100%. 100%. And David Portnoy is like, you know, making hundreds of millions of dollars on exploiting women. Like, that's his deal. But that's been going on in society forever. And until society backs off, it's not the, that's not the fault of name, image, and likeness. That's the problem of the way we've treated women in our society for hundreds of years and continue to do so. And until... You know, someone decides to not support the people that are doing that. That's the issue. It's not name, image, and likeness. It's the unfortunate reality. You know, someone's got to decide they don't want to support Barstool because of what Bar. If they're raising a daughter and they're supporting Barstool, I ask you to check yourself. All right, how about a little jazz content, David? Mary Connolly said something on Instagram. If you want to just go with this whole theory. Like, All right, hey. what do you got? No, I mean, I'm joking, but, like, Mary Conley tweeted (laughs) out an Instagram picture of them packing up from Utah. Like, well, of course, because they live in Columbus. But it, like, created, like, this firestorm. So I, like... I just was laughing more about, like, you know, the media all at Instagram and us reacting. So Mary Conley must be Mike's wife. Yes. Okay. Right. So we're going down. We're going down the the whole Gordon Hayward Celtic jersey, uh, whatever. Uh, what holiday was that? Was it Halloween or I don't remember. It was some holiday. Oh, St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. St. Patrick's right. Day. Yeah. Right. Accidentally yeah, I mean, breaking Clancy, the news. Mary Clancy is an Instagram influencer, so like she has, she's done name, image, and likeness for herself, and very good at it, frankly. I mean, that's actually on the simplest end of this conversation. Like, whether an athlete goes in, like, the idea that an athlete, the previous idea that an athlete could not be an influencer because they were playing sports, the fact that this guy couldn't do country music concerts because he was an athlete, it's just the most absurd thing in the world. So while this may not be perfect, there's nothing worse than what we have. I agree with that. Yes, absolutely. We're up for it. We're just acknowledging there's unintended consequences. We don't even know what they are. Right. We don't. They are so unintended. We we can't even predict right now. We're going to sit here six months or a year from now and go, wow, that turned into a deal. Didn't see that coming. Right. I don't think it's going to be as bad for competitive balance as everyone's making it sound. I I agree with you on that. If for no other reason, then how much worse is competitive balance going to be? In football, football, there's six teams fighting for four playoff berths, and Alabama and Clemson are, even among those six, are cut above the other four. You know, Ohio State and Oklahoma are trying to get there. Notre Dame's trying to get there. But why is a five-star risk not being the guy? Why not go here and be the guy? As right, opposed to being, you know, a backup or the fourth best defensive lineman and getting no run. We'll see. Right. 100%. Right. And, you, and, and you know, hey, USC and UCLA have already had every advantage they possibly could have had for the last 20 years, and they haven't profited off them. So why believe they're going to now? Like, if you're, if you're a poorly run athletic department, you're a poorly run athletic department. Like, you're not going to suddenly figure out how to do this if you can't figure out how to do everything else. Stanford will have an advantage. They'll, their kids will be getting paid in shares of Google so and Amazon. So They already are. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, Let's be honest about it. Stanford athletes are getting fabulous jobs right out of college. Is that any different than what we're talking about right now? Like, Your summer internships are preset when you go to Stanford as an athlete. 
Uh, the difference being we live with that and we accept it because they've earned that right. Right. They went the hard way and they got it done. Right. So good for them. Right. All right. We need one jazz nugget for the jazz fan who tuned in for this and got a lot of college sports. Um, with the change, I'm curious, with the change now at the top of the organization, are we going to see a subtle or maybe not so subtle shift to the five out lineups and having those available for the minutes that Rudy Gobert is off the floor? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of our focus is on, you know, what happened to us defensively, and it should be, frankly. Uh, but I think the story of the playoffs has been roster versatility. Though, frankly, Phoenix doesn't have a great deal of roster versatility. They have enough, though. They play Dario Saric as their backup center, and if they had had to play him more than eight minutes a night, if Aiton hadn't been such a force, they could have. Um, most teams right now have – Atlanta has it, Milwaukee has it, Brooklyn has it, uh, Philadelphia, Joel Embiid so – prominent that they don't really have it, but I but I think their backup center by, uh, well, their backup center should be Ben Simmons, but that's a different issue. Um, you know, they have roster versatility. You know, Golden State didn't have roster versatility. They couldn't go big. So, you know, in both directions, but I do think that what you'll probably see this year is a movement toward a little bit more roster versatility by the Jazz if they're able to do it. And so that means personnel change? Yeah, I mean, right now we really can only play one way, um, which is fine. Like, in that, you know, and I think that was Dennis's signature. Was And he even said it. Like, if you go back to – I asked Dennis and Justin in a press conference last year about whether or not they believe in wanting to play defensively in multiple different facets – or if you're better off being able to play 48 minutes the same way. And I thought after drafting Azubuke, I interpreted Dennis's answer as saying that he really believed in playing 48 minutes in a similar style the entire way, which if you look at our centers, they're all three of them are the exact same style of players. And so that led us to playing, you know, drop big defensively, we didn't have a lot of options to switch one through five. And offensively, you're playing a pick-and-roll rule game, not a pick-and-roll pop game. There wasn't a great deal of roster versatility. And, and my understanding from that question that I asked Dennis at the press conference, and I apologize to him if I'm misinterpreting what he said, was that that was by design. Now, maybe I misunderstood, so i got to be careful, and it was six months ago. Um, but that was my understanding at the time, was that that was by design. It made sense to be by design. But as the year has evolved, I think what we're seeing is more roster versatility from teams. And so if the Jazz can do it, I think they'll try to create more roster versatility. And how do you think they go about that then? I don't know. Me either. Veteran exception, draft pick seem to be the two obvious. I mean, we, there aren't a lot, like... We, we, that's probably the issue that has to be confronted the most by the fan base and ourselves is that there just are not that many levers to pull right now. So even ignoring the luxury tax impact, if you, if you sign someone, and Ryan and Ashley Smith have shown the willingness to do that, you know, which I find, you know, I guess it's impressive. I, I'm never sure what I think about luxury tax. Like, 
from a financial standpoint, it's so prohibitive. I have a hard time calling it impressive, right? It's a, it's a commitment. Let's just call it that. Like it's a clear commitment. Um, the, but because you're in the luxury tax, you don't have the mid-level exception. So when you go out to the free agent market, you don't actually have full mid-level. You only have taxpayer mid-level, which is a smaller number, which makes it really hard to sign kind of a mid-level free agent because everybody else who's not in the tax can give that mid-level free agent more money. So that kind of takes a playoff. We can't trade a draft pick until after the draft. We could draft the player and then trade the player once we acquire it, but we can't trade a future any future draft picks until Memphis exercises the pick that we did in the Mike Conley deal. So that lever's off the table. Then, you know, then frankly, because you're in the tax, you have less margin by which you can make trades in what your window is of matching those salaries. So that's off the table. So now the moves that are on the table are a late first-round draft pick, which is pretty unlikely to contribute for a really, really good team, and and then minimum veteran salaries, which have – turned out to be very prosperous for teams, but we've got to prove we can go get them. You know, the Reggie Jacksons of the world that were on the scrap heap that they went and got for the minimum. The, you know, some other, Brooke Lopez, frankly, coming out of L.A. was about as low level a contract as you could get. That was a great move by Milwaukee two years ago. They've made it since. And then the last piece of the puzzle is trading your play, current players. Like, as much as we love Boyan, Joe, Jordan, Mike, all these guys, and it would be negligent not to. You've got to run around the league and find out. And, like, like I'll throw one at you and tell me what you think. Like, at first it sounds terrible. Joe Ingles for Larry Nance Jr. No. <laughs> You're jacking up our radio show. show, dude. Right. But, like, so I think Joe was unbelievable this year. I would have voted him for sixth man of the year. I thought he was as important to anything we had. His three-point shooting – and what he did was one of the large reasons why we were successful. I think it's the most undervalued thing. I, there's not an ounce of me that has any part of believing that Joe Ingles is fabulous for us last year. Third ball handler in the pick and roll. Best spot-up shooter in the league. Best shooter in the league over the, last, in the first eight seconds of the shot clock over the last four years. Like, I'm not lost on Joe Ingles' value. Yeah, but, but he acknowledges he acknowledges this, this in an interview about finishing his career. He says you want to, but it's a business and you know how it works. I mean, right. he knows. Nance, he said it. Larry Nance Jr. lets us have roster versatility. I don't know if that's the right answer. I just found a number that the contract that matches. Sure. Right? So Larry Nance Jr., you'd have to find a way to, you know, do some other things with your roster. But Larry Nance Jr. probably can play the five. He's doing a really interesting interview this year. I actually have to be listening to Locked on Cavs. Talking about, I can do it for 12, 14 minutes a night. I can't do it for 30. Well, okay, that's all we need it for. He can shoot the three well enough that he can play the four. He can switch one through five defensively. Like, he gives us a totally different look to who we are as a team. Is that worth it? I, I, I'm not. That's above my pay grade. But that conversation should be taking place inside the Jazz front office, and it certainly is. David, we appreciate the time and all the random ideas for name, image, and likeness and a little bit of NBA along the way. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again next week. You wanted a little nugget. That was a pretty big gold nugget right there. We are like 49ers on the gold trail with that one. That was a great little conversation for you. There's David Locke. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, including Game 1 of the NBA Finals with the Suns and the Bucks. Next. Next. 